Hey, Jacob's World Podcast. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are going to continue on in our series called Unsettled, where we're walking with the children of Israel through the wilderness, where they are moving from slavery to freedom. And we are going to discover a principle from that time that can become the foundation of your life. It has to do with a concept called first fruits, about giving God your first and your best. You do not want to miss this. This could change everything. Good morning, everybody. Good morning down in the theater. Good to see you guys this weekend. I have five children. Well, that was very underwhelming. (laughs) So, (laughs) and, well, in an attempt to teach them to be thoughtful and generous, as I was raising them, I taught them to buy me gifts. Now, how this would work when they were little is they would go to the store and buy things with my money for me. One time I asked my son, hey, how did you get this? How did you pay for it? And he said, mom took the money from your wallet. That's what he said. (laughs) And I encouraged them to be generous, so I had them buy me nice stuff, you know. And, and, uh, you know, they would come and they were so excited and they'd bring me the gift. I got this for you. I'm giving this to you. I did it because I love it. And that was great. Well, now they're adults. And they give me gifts now, and they pay for them. And I have to tell you that the quality is kind of, you know. <laughs> they do thoughtful things, like write me a meaningful note, you know, homemade gifts. And that's all great. I'm not ungrateful at all. No, but seriously, whenever I think about that scenario, I always thought it was kind of funny that they were giving me gifts that I had paid for, me gifts. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis writes about this in his, in his great book, Mere Christianity, where he talks about the, the man who goes from his, God, his grandfather to buy him money to get him a gift, and he says that left the grandpa sixpence, none the richer. Because it all started with the grandpa. That's when I come to this, that's why when I come to this thing of ever talking about giving to God, whether it be my time, my talents, my influence, how I do my job, how I do my family, whenever I talk about giving to God, I, I never in my own life talk about this thing of I'm being generous to God. Because everything I have started with him, came from him, actually belongs to him. And, 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 and when you, you talk about it being generous, that really pushes aside the more important word. Whenever we talk about this thing of stewardship, we, we push aside the word obedience. Because here's the deal. I want to be joyfully obedient in every aspect of my life with Christ. I want to experience the joy of heading in the right direction, doing the right thing, and, and, and so often it's got to start with this perspective that my life does not belong to me. Now, now we're in this series called uh, Unsettled. You know, we were in the wilderness for a while, and we wandered for a while, and, and now we're unsettled here in the wilderness. And, and this is a series about that 40-year time when the people of God were, were in between. They were in the now and the not yet. They were free from slavery in Egypt, but they, not were, they were not yet living in the full freedom that God intended them to have. And, and so it took a generation for them to start to figure that out. Now, I, I just want you to take a step back from that. I mean, just a minute and, and imagine 40 years of that. I mean, 40 years used to seem like a long time. I'm 50 now. It didn't seem that long. Now, some of you are like, you know, 15 and say, 40, that is going to take forever. Anybody who's 41 said, didn't take that long. (laughs) Got here quick. But the truth is, is that 40 years of, of 
anniversaries and 40 years of life pattern and 40 years of figuring things out and applying things in life, it gives you a perspective. It changes things. And, and one of the questions we want to ask that when we're in seasons where things are unsettled, what is our foundation? What is our guide? What are we going to stand on? What are the foundations that we are going to live in? Now, during this time of the 40 years in the wilderness wandering, God gave teaching. He gave commands. He gave encouragements. And he gave these things called laws. In fact, the, the first five books of the Bible that talk about this time of being in the wilderness are actually called the law. And, and, and very often we get the idea that what that's all about is a set of rules that we really don't want to do that we kind of try to make happen in our own life. But really, what, what the law actually is, is it is, it is a list of commands and manipulations teachings that we are supposed to get to the heart of the principle of because every one of them listen now is rooted in the nature and character of God so the law tells us a lot about who God is and what he's about and then because we know who he is and we recognize that he is good we recognize what is good and what is evil what is a good way to live from the things that God said and so now we're in a time in the new testament where we're no longer focused on keeping the details of the law we are more interested in understanding what were the principles to build my life on. Well, what are the things that they're supposed to explain to me? And so we're talking this week about building. We're talking about building. Oh, hit the wrong button. We're going to build something, I tell you what. <laughs> well, that's not it. <laughs> We're going to build a a principle to be the foundation of our life. There it is. That's what we're going to do. And so, um, (laughs) love technology. And here's what you need to understand about how we're going to approach the law. Because we're actually going to spend the next couple weeks on it. We're going to get to this deeply next week. Is that what we do in terms of the New Testament is that we look at the law. We say, okay, it's, it's not about the details of don't eat this, don't do this, follow this legalistic rule. Instead, okay, what's... The heart of God in here. What are we learning about God here? And then what's the principle that now we take to the New Testament and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we apply it to our life. And so here's the big thing. We're going to move the law from from a written word outside of ourselves to a spiritual word written on our heart. We are going to move the law to a bunch of rules that we struggle to keep, and we're going to move the law to this thing of written on our hearts. So it's not so much what you do in terms of following the rules, it's who you are on the inside so that the, the, the heart of God, the goodness of God, the principles of God come out in in you becoming a good person from whom good things naturally flow. That's why the prophet said the, the, the thing that used to be written on cold stone will be written on the human heart. And we're going to discover that. Now this week, we're going to do that by talking about a principle that was given to the children of Israel. And this pr- pr- a principle is the principle that you build your life on. And it's the principle of first fruit. So I want to show you this from the scripture. So this is one of those commands that are given in the Old Testament that we read it and say, I don't even know how to apply that until we follow it through and show how the Spirit would have us apply it in our lives. And understand, this is one of the most important principles that's going to come out of the law. Because if you don't get this your life is really going to be a, a huge struggle. It's the principle of first fruit. So the first thing he says is he says consecrate. So what does consecrate mean? It means set apart. 
It means recognize that something is special, so I take it out of the hole, and I'm going to offer it, I'm going to consecrate it, I'm going to say, God, this one is for you, and and I'm going to consecrate that. I'm going to take my first, my best, I'm going to give it to you. And here's one of the principles you'll discover about consecration, is that when you properly consecrate the first and best, it consecrates everything. When, when, we, when you start the thing by saying, you know what, I'm going to start with this, it puts a blessing on your entire life and everything that's related to it. So to consecrate to me, the firstborn, whatsoever is first, to open the wound among the people of Israel, both man and beast. Look at this, what he says. He says, it is mine. And so God's perspective about first fruit is that it belongs to me and it's supposed to be used to me and it's supposed to be given to me without any kind of condition because it doesn't belong to me. So consecration said, you know what? I don't dare use that for anything else because it does not belong to me. He goes on with this command and he says, you shall set apart to Yahweh. Remember the proper name of God, the, 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 the setting apart of Yahweh, all that first opens the womb. All the firstborns of your animals are males, shall be Yahweh's, shall be the Lord's. And when it is time to come and your sons and daughters ask you, why are we doing this? What does this mean? Your answer is, you shall say to them, by a strong hand. So God was faithful then, he's faithful now. First fruits is putting your trust in the hands of God rather than your best effort. Just think about that for a minute. Okay? Because of the Lord's strong hand, the Lord brought us out, out of Egypt. We used to be slaves. From the house of slavery. And now we offer God our first and our best. Because there was a time when we were owned by other people. There was a time where we didn't have anything. There was a time where we couldn't go where we wanted. We couldn't say what we wanted. We couldn't worship what we wanted. We were owned by other people. And now we belong to God. And so that was the command. That was the part of the law that was from them. Now probably most of us here are not raising lambs, goats, anything like that. So okay, well, that's a freebie for me, I guess. I don't have to worry about it, right? Not at all. What what we need to understand is, okay, what does that say about the nature and character of God? It it says that we should learn something about God. That God calls us to be a giver because God is a giver. God calls us to be generous because he is generous. God calls us to be a person who gives good things because he is good. And and so we learn that about God. and, And from that then we learn the principle of living with your hand open to God. And what that means is, is God, anything you want to put in here, you put in here. If it's a good thing, if it's a hard thing, you know what? I trust that you're good and you're going to bring it. But, 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 but you know what? Anything you want to take out of here. Oh, don't take that. I love that. Okay, you're God. Oh, oh, please take that. Oh, take that. Oh, take that person now. I mean, that kind of thing. <laughs> Whatever God puts or take, he gets to be God because he's the owner. We, we talked about this. this. is what Live It Well was all about because Live It Well was really not about offerings, money. It was about discipleship. It was about this understanding that most people live under the curse. Did you hear me now? Under the curse of ownership. They live as though life is for them about them, and they are responsible for it. And so they've got to live under this thing of a curse of ownership and that the Bible teaches us we are not owners. We are stewards that everything belongs with God. And when you put yourself, when you consecrate your life under this thing of belonging to God, you put your life under a blessing. Because now, when there's a problem, that's the owner's deal. 
know, when there's something I can't handle, better talk to the owner. You know what? When we're in charge, well, then our life falls under a curse. Now, what I want to show you now is how this message, how this principle plays out throughout the New Testament and plays out throughout the rest of the Bible. So, first thing we see this is, again, in Exodus 23, he not only applies it to animals, but every part of our life. He says, the best, the best, the best, okay? Are you giving your best? I mean, this is just a principle for life, right? That, that we are called to give our best in whatever we're called to do. And so the best of the first fruits, okay, of the ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. And so what he's saying is you bring your first and your best to God as a priority. And not just the animals, but every part of your life that's fruitful. And that's not just about, you know, people grow crops and things like that. It talks about your, your, your wealth. It talks about, listen now, your influence. You say, I have influence. You do have influence at work and at school and other places? Are you using that for the things God would want you to do? Are you just using your influence to get yourself ahead? Or are you hiding your influence? You know you have influence. You are called to lead, but you're not giving your best. You're taking that talent and you're bearing it because you're afraid. You see, you have influence. You have time. Your time is a consumable thing. Have you ever thought about consecrating your time by giving some of that back in service to God, either here or in some other place in the community? When you do that, your life starts to become more of a blessing. Your family is something that you are supposed to give your first and your best to. And so this principle is not just simply about money. It's about every aspect of your life. Take a look. Now, in Deuteronomy 26, verse 10, we're going to see that this is actually an issue of worship. Look what it says. And behold, now I bring the first fruits of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me. This is a person being obedient. And you shall set down before the Lord your God and worship. And worship. Because here's the deal. If you're an owner, you're worshiping something. You're worshiping some stuff. That's the most important thing. And it's a curse in your life, right? Because you're saying, this is what's most important. This is what I got to protect. This is mine. He says, but when you make yourself a steward, you say, God, I worship you. And everything else begins to pale in comparison with that. He goes on. He says, and you shall, look at this, rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given you. And so what happens when we start moving from a, a, an owner to a steward is we start experiencing joy. Because here's the deal. You will not have true God-ordained joy in your life without obedience. The two are completely meshed together. Because obedience puts your, li- your life out of disjunct. It's like a car that needs a tune-up, you know. And it puts it in obedience, in line with God. And so your life begins to run smoother. Even though there's difficulties, there's hard, obedience puts you in line with the, the heart of God. And what that does is it produces joy. And then it makes you a joyful giver. If you're a joyful, not a joyful giver, you're doing it wrong. And again, I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about service. I'm talking about putting others first. I'm talking about using your your perspective. I'm talking about your attitude. Let me ask you a question. Are you bringing your best attitude to life? At work, are you a person who brings the best attitude? Are you the person who makes it your first priority to be a great employee? You say, you don't understand. My boss does this and no one else does. And what's this? Listen, you don't work for your boss unless you're an owner. You work for God. And when you bring your best and your first and the best attitude you have, you become a blessing to an environment, whether that's a sports team, 
Whether that's a coaching opportunity, whether that's work, whether that's your family or how you raise your kids, negativity, toxic grumbling, we'll do a whole kind of message on this in a couple weeks, is actually a profound sin in our life. And But when we have a joyful attitude, say, God, I don't have to give, I get to give. It changes everything. Now look how this shows up in the New Testament. This is Jesus now. So we're in Matthew 6.33. This is what Jesus said. He said, seek first... Seek first, as your priority, the kingdom of God. So that is to say, putting your life and everything around you as much as you can in harmony with God's ways, God's ways of living, God's way of doing things. Seek first his ways, and look at this, and his righteousness, our right way of doing things, thinking about things, aligning your life first and as a priority before you do anything else with his right ways, and all these other things will be added to you. Now, what are the other things? Well, in a couple of verses before that, he said, well, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you, well, 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 who's going to know you. All those other things, that they take care of themselves. Because the greatest people, the most secure people, who put, are people who put themselves in the hands of God. You know, I, I, I hope you realize that one of the reasons it's so important for us to teach on this is because of idolatry. This thing of worshiping stuff. I don't know that there's a greater sin, a greater temptation for us as Americans to become people who live under the curse of materialism. We, we all in our heart are hoarders. Even if you keep your, nice, your house night, nice, there's always, I've got this, but I want more. But I want this, and I got more. And when you're living like that, it's an absolute curse. It's a terrible way to live. There's no satisfaction. There's joy in that. You know, you can live under the curse when you go and you buy that thing. You go outside of God's will and say, I'm just going to get that thing. Whenever my boys buy something, I always talk to them about the buy after the buy. And what I mean by that? So I'm going to buy a car. <sighs> I bought this car. Can you afford it? Barely. Okay, well, it looks like it needs tires. Oh, well, that's a buy after the buy. Have you insured it yet? Oh, do you need that? Yeah, you need that. I assume this car uses gas and oil and things. Yeah, absolutely. And then pretty soon, you know, it's the thing after the thing after the thing. And so then all of a sudden, because I'm responsible for this, because I've done this thing my way, this thing that I thought was going to be a blessing, was going to be a joy, is actually a curse. You see, and that's why materialism, that's why Jesus talks about money and materialism almost more than any other topic in terms of his illustrations because he recognizes the trap that this is. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. And those other things will take care of themselves. They become a lot more, a lot less important. Take a look at how the apostle Paul talks about this. He says, and Jesus, he is before all things, not just the first one to arrive, but above all things. He is the, the, the top. He is the one who it is all about. And in him, all things hold together. So you want your life to hold together? Anybody's life falling apart? Well, he holds all things together. He holds all things together, and he is the head of the body that is the church. Look at this. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that everything might, that in everything he might be, look at this great word, preeminent. That is to say that he must be first, he must be central, he is where we start, he is where, where we live in all of these things. And you see this principle develop throughout the scripture. And again, what you see is an Old Testament law that when we try to just force ourselves to do it from the outside. We end up being just, just miserable. But when the Spirit of God shows us who God is and shows us what the principle is, and he, he puts it, he writes it on our heart, well, that changes who we are. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. And when Christ becomes preeminent to your life, 
everything, everything changes. Look at the next part of Colossians 3. He says, and whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, so what you say, what you do, how you think, what your attitude, do everything. The Greek word everything means everything. In everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. That's an attitude, right? You know, God convicted me about thankfulness. I was actually listening to a sermon by another brother, and I heard something. He just kind of reminded me that, you know what? Uh, it's amazing how much works in our life, right? I get up in the morning, I turn on the light, and the light comes on. I go to the water fountain, and, and I turn on the water, and I have fresh, clean, safe water, which is a luxury for most of the world. I go to the refrigerator, there's food there, and I flush the toilet, it flushes, it goes away. That's a blessing, because I've had septic problems, and so when it doesn't go away, it <laughs> makes you thankful when it goes away. But I tend to focus on what I don't have, what I haven't gotten, what I'm not, what I'm lost. But, and when Christ becomes preeminent, and when he becomes first in everything, it's amazing how thanksgiving to the Father comes because of who Christ is. You see, this principle of forced first fruits is a, not just a good idea. This thing of stewardship is not just something we're supposed to do. It is the cornerstone. Listen now. It is the cornerstone of Christian discipleship. So if you are still living as an owner, how can you consider yourself a disciple of Christ? If you're still living as an owner, how can you consider yourself a person who is moving towards God? And what you should expect in your your, your life are things of curse, uh, the anxiety and the fears and trying to control things you can't control. It becomes a miserable, miserable place to live. And so the conclusion we reach is this, and this is the principle to build your life on. Bringing first fruits is an act of worship. An act of worship that offers God my first and my best in all things. My first and my best in all things. Now, now again, because we're talking about a, day, a, a law, a thing that's just in the law, there's a danger here. And the danger is that we do the action without letting the principle take over our heart. And one of the biggest indications about that is that when you do the right thing, if you do the, gen- the, 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 the godly thing, if you become a giver and your attitude is, wow, how generous am I? Well, you're tipping over into legalistically, technically doing the right thing, but in the wrong way. Let me show you an example of this from the New Testament again. So this is Jesus saying, woe to you. When Jesus says, woe to you, you should pay attention. So this is bad. I mean, it's just like, Wow. Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees. So these are religious leaders. He said, you hypocrites. Because a hypocrite is a person who does one thing outside of themselves, but it has not yet gone to their heart. That's why the law didn't work. Because they tried to do the law with their best effort, but it never grabbed their heart. I'm going to say much more about that next week. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe. So you do the first, thing, first fruits behavior of mint and dill and cumin. You, you go to your spice cabinet. You got to 10% of that, 10% of that. And so I'm covered. I legalistically follow the law. and have, But you have neglected. You have neglected the weightier matters or the matters of the heart for of that were found in the law, that were found in the nature and character of God, that were taught about who God was, so this is how we should be, those things of justice and mercy and being faithful. He says, that's the thing. He says, first fruit was meant to be a springboard for you to have your heart changed so these sort of things start coming out of your life. He said, but all you did was the legalistic thing. And then Jesus ends this section by saying, listen, these things you ought to have done. You should have done the first things. 
You should have been faithful in, 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 in the tithe thing without neglecting the other parts of it. And so the danger here is that we, we take pride and I've already got this all together and, and I'm doing it. But there are other things that it hasn't yet taken as a principle in hold of our hearts. Now, now two years ago, um, we started this thing called Live It Well. And I actually gave a message very similar with a lot of the same verses that I'm giving this weekend and a couple weeks ago, um, we were going to show a video um, by, by a wonderful, incredible leader in our church, Jess. And I saw it for that week. I said, it'd be good then, but it's just perfect here. I want to let you know, this was done several weeks ago, and I did not even do the interview because God just set this up, okay? And so go ahead and listen to what Jess says about what she experienced from taking part in First Fruits and Live It Well, and particularly Listen to what she learned about God. Let's take a listen. Hi, my name is Jess Hughes, and I've been attending Jacob's Well since the summer of 2015. What does live at well mean to me? It's a call to stewardship. God is the owner of our life. Um, so we need to honor him and take our, our, basically our first fruits, you know, all that we have, give our first and our best and give it to him. And doing that in love and, and worship and obedience. He gave his first to us. You know, he gave his, his son, Jesus. So when we give him our fruits, it could be our time or our talent. Um, our serving uh, it could be our finances it could be our influences and position so being an owner versus being a steward I choose being a steward when it came to finances and tithing I gave but I didn't tithe. I not only stepped up in my tithing, but I went beyond my comfort zone. It's been just life-changing. You know, I used to go out every single weekend with one particular girlfriend, and we would shop and shop and shop, and I'd bring home all this crap to my house. And then after Live It Well, I just didn't find pleasure in this mindless spending. And I went home, and I looked around my cluttered house actually grieved my heart. The last particular 10 months, um, it's been kind of challenging. My husband's been out of work. So trusting God that he's going to meet all our needs and still being able to be faithful to my commitment. Um, cut a few boards and I learned how to paint and I learned how to paint and I learned how to paint so now I feel like I'm a professional um, I also conquered my uh, my fear of heights you know there's just so many areas at Jacob's Well for people to come and serve you know I've met so many strangers that have walked through the doors and they've become friends and now they're family and I think about what it was like when I walked through these doors four years ago and I was just greeted with so much love. And then I looked up at the mission statement and it says that no matter where we are in our journey, we will walk together, we'll take steps 
to get to know and become like Jesus. And we're not alone. We have God, we have each other, and we're going to do it together. I think the thing of being a steward is so important because I've been an owner, and I don't want to be an owner. It's distanced me from God. He has shown me who I am. I am his beloved child. That's who just uses. You know, there's so much I loved about that video when I saw it, but, but more than I think any other thing is, again, I mean, this just all came uh, from Jess's heart, is you see a person who's moved from something outside of herself that she was supposed to do to a heart change that changed who she was. And now th- this transformation to here, it changed the way I looked at materialistic things. It changed the way we went through a hard time, learned to trust in God. It taught me my identity of who God was. This thing of stewardship is the cornerstone of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Because if your thing is, listen, I got all these plans and all this thing, I own my life, and every now and again I'm going to show up at church and ask God to bless my plan, you do not get it. And you are put your life under a curse. But when you come and say, God, whatever my life is, it belongs to you. Whatever you want to take, whatever you want to put, it all belongs to you. But it's got to be an issue of the heart. Jesus... uh, tried to teach this to his disciples. And it's a, it's a hard lesson to learn. And he did it through this story. I'm going to go right to the story. The story is um, this. It said, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offerings. These are people doing a good thing. And what they would do at the time is they set up the temple in just kind of a creepy way. Everybody came and they presented their gifts to the priest and the priest nodded and they put the thing. So saw all the rich giving their gifts in the box and he saw a poor widow put two small copper coins. And what Jesus is going to do is going to say, there's some folks here doing this because it's a rule. And because they're trying to look righteous, they're trying to preach, appear you know, super generous and all those kinds of things like that. And then there's another person here who's doing it because of the heart. And take a look what Jesus says. For, um, um, and Jesus said, there's another verse in between here. It said, Jesus said to them, listen, pay attention. That widow has given more than all the wealthy people. And his disciples were just shocked at this. He said this, for they have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, because in all she had, it was all she had to live on. And he said to them, truly, the, the verse is out of order here, so you saw it happen. Um, and so, so here's the thing we need to ask. The question we want to ask ourselves is, in what area of our life does God want us to take a step in first fruits? Maybe for you this is a pivotal thing. You say, you know what? God, I've been living as an owner. I want to become a steward. Whatever you want to give, whatever you want to take, all belongs to you. And it's going to change. It'll change the way you do your business. It'll change the way you spend your money. It'll change the way you spend your time. It'll change who you hang around with. It'll change how judgmental you are and how negative you are. Because you know what, God? I want to bring my first and my best. It might change the way you do work. You might start, I can just say it, showing up on time, taking the proper breaks, working harder because it's the right thing to do, because I'm doing it for God. That's the principle of first which changes every aspect of your life. You know, I think about that first verse we looked at where it said this principle of taking the first and the best, and, and then when your kids come, your kids come, your sons and daughters come, and they say, what does this mean? And, and by the way, if you want kids who live well and live full lives and generous, alive lives, they will, do, they will get there more by what they see you do than anything else. So we have to ask ourselves the questions, what are we telling our kids about what's important in this life? And stewardship is a huge part of that because perhaps the greatest thing we are entrusted with in stewards 
is our family, right? That's a trust. It belongs to God. We return it to God. And so the kids come, and, and what does it mean? So I can imagine a scenario in that story where, where the children of Israel have finally got to the promised land, and they're getting established. And there's this one family in a valley, and every, every, every year when harvest comes, they take the first and the best, and they, they bring it to God. And then the, the animals come, they take the first and the best, and they bring it to God. And finally, one of the sons who's getting older and going to be the next in line to take care of the whole family, he goes to the father and says, Father, I just got to talk to you about this. You know, uh, I get the whole thing, the first and the best thing kind of you talk about it all the time, but, but I just want to ask you, just honestly, i got to tell you, have you any idea how much this is costing us? Did you have any idea what we could do if we didn't do that? And, and Dad, I just got to tell you, do you realize that there are other families who, who maybe we're competing with in the valley who don't do this? They just don't do this. And so I'm not talking about that, just totally doing it. I just got a couple ideas. So, so maybe what we could do is, is after we pay all the bills and after we get all the stuff and now we got everything covered, how, how about we then, we just look around and whatever's left. And, and, and truth is, Dad, there's some stuff we're not going to use anyway. Every now and again, there's a, a lamb that's broken leg and that's going to die anyway or one that's blind and so it's not going to make it or one that's weak. We could give that and, and, and instead. And the other thing we could do is, is, is we could just honestly, we could just keep it and we could invest it. We could build it up and then some later date we can get this great big thing. It'll look good for the family. It'll just be a good kind of thing and that kind of thing. See, all of that's the perspective of the owner. And I can imagine the wise father just looking and listening and said, well, here, son, let me explain why we do this. He said, what you need to understand is that your grandparents were actually slaves. They didn't own anything. Someone owned them. And they couldn't act the way they wanted to. They didn't know God. They were without God and without hope. And the liver Moses came and led them through. And they were saved from that. And then for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness learning about God. And I was born in the wilderness. And now I'm here. And what you need to understand, son, is that God's strong hand brought us here. And that everything we have belongs to him. And there'd be nothing I'd want to do to move my life outside of the blessing of God back to the curse of doing things my way. I have a wonderful sons, and I'm very proud of all my sons and my daughters. One of my sons came of age, and he started really wanting to get this thing of doing life for himself. I was really proud of that. So he came, and he said, I'm going to get my own apartment. I'm going to pay for my car. I want to do this. And I said, that's great. And so we started doing this budget thing. He says, wow, that's going to add up. I'm going to need a better job, this, and school, all that kind of stuff. And then he said to me, he said, hey, Dad, how much do you make? And so I've always actually been kind of open with my kids about that. I've kind of wanted them to understand. I said, well, I make this. And I said, you make so much money. Oh, my gosh. <coughs> and then I showed him the budget. So this is what the house costs. This is what you cost. <laughs> Big number. Here's this and this and this. And then he goes, you don't make enough money. Or those kinds of things like that. So I make plenty of money, you know. And then he saw the very first thing on my budget is it's, 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 it's the number that I tithe and then other things I give to above the tithe and out of the church. And, and he says, wow, that, that's, a, that's a big number. And, and, and he's thinking that could be all kinds of things he listed. Oh, I'd buy my car, vacation or some other kind of thing like that or, or, or some other thing. And, 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 and what he doesn't understand is that I learned that principle, you know, when I was a teenager. And so I've done that for, for, for over 30 years now and God has been faithful. And there have been times where it didn't add up. But, but I talked to him about that, and he said, why do you do that? And, and I got kind of serious with him for a minute. I said, well, and, and my wife was there in the room, and I said, you know, here's the thing you don't understand. He said, you grew up in a Christian home, so you've always known about Christ. You've always known who he was, and, and we talked to you about him. But your mom and I lived in homes that didn't know Christ. And, and we got involved in some dark stuff, some stuff that was dark stuff, some stuff that was done to us, and some stuff we did. And we were lost, and we were broken, and Jesus came into our life, and he saved us. 
And he's given us everything we have. And so we belong to him. We honor him. This is in our heart. This is not, this is not something we choose to do anymore even. It's just who we are. And it shows up in all the different life. And I hope in my life he sees just the way I treat his friends, the way I treat people, the, that, 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 that the natural outcome is a transformation that happens. Not because of anything that I've done, but because of the spirit of God in my heart. See, that's what this is all about. That's what this heart is all about. And so maybe there's a step for you to take. Maybe for you, it looks like taking one of the steps we've talked about. You said, you know what, I need to get baptized. Because you say, say I just don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Well, if your life's like this, you'll do anything Jesus asks you to do. Even crawl into some water on Easter morning. Because that's what Jesus told you to do. One main reason you get baptized, Jesus told you to do it. It's called obedience. And there's a joy in it. The people who do it, for any other reason, don't, they miss the joy. And, 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 and that's important. Maybe for you, it's about Formation 101. You say, what, what does that have to do with first fruits? Well, because how is your devotional life? Do you give your first and your best to spending time with God? Do you give your first and best to knowing him, learning to pray, understanding his word, or do you give him what's left over? And so Formation 101, I'm not talking about getting up at 6 in the morning and praying and all that, but I'm talking about having a major portion of your life that you return to God as your time to be with him. See, I don't know how to do that. Formation 101. See, it's an issue of stewardship. It's an issue of discipleship. Maybe it's for you, it's about uh, beginning this thing of tithing or taking steps towards that. Maybe it's some other thing. But, but the point is, is that when you understand this principle of stewardship, there's usually something in our life say, so you know what? I'm acting like an owner here. And that's why it's so hard. It's why it's such a struggle. That's why I worry about it. That's why I can't sleep trying to manage it. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to put my, hand, my life back into the hand of God. And when we do that, we move our life from outside of a curse. And we move it under the blessing of God. Let's pray together. Father, I love you so much. We love you so much. And I just want to take a, a moment for myself and maybe for others here to ask your forgiveness for the times that I have made myself an owner. I've made my life about me and for me and my control. That I have said, your strong arm is not trustworthy. i got to do this myself. And Father, that has put my life in chaos and curse and just created confusion. Right now, in Jesus' name, we ask you under the power of the Holy Spirit to move our perspective to move our attitude, to move our intention and our attitude towards being an, a, a steward. Someone who puts their life in your hands. It is a work that only the Holy Spirit can do. Help us not to do it as an external group of rules, but as a transformation of the heart where we see who you are and the principles you'd have us to live by and that it would change every aspect of our life. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and to point out just different things that you want us to change because our hand is open. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come to convict us, to encourage us, to comfort us, that we, Father, might take steps to know and become like you so that we could bring honor and glory to you. We love you, and we lift these things up in Jesus' name. Amen.